Okay, welcome to Managing Marketing. And uh, this week I'm joined by Nathan Hodges, who's General Manager here at Trinity P3. Welcome, Nathan. Hi, Darren. How are you? I'm well, um, but uh, I was actually thinking that uh, this is a great opportunity for me because uh, having been away for a number of weeks, uh, I know you've been working on some big projects for clients around their roster management. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Some huge projects going through at the moment. It's one of the big, it's kind of one of the big hot points at the moment for us is roster size, roster management, the complexity that people are faced with and what the hell they do. Um, to go and manage that and improve it and get a get a handle on even what, what's there. So, um, so yeah, we've been busy, Darren, while you've been away. Some well, yourself, or whatever <laughs> you've been doing. Well, no, look, and it's interesting because I think back to when I was working in advertising before Trinity P3, and it really was the start of this process because when I started at... Uh, uh, Mattingly or grey advertising or even when I finished at JWT it was really a transformation from what was called the full service agency to this much more fragmented approach. Yeah I mean so similarly I'm, I'm, you've got me thinking now about when I started back at um, what was called BMP but BD, BMP DDB in London um, where I spent six years which was perhaps one of the best full service agencies in London at the time. And while I was there, we were going from full service to me, the media agency splitting off and all the controversy that that, that kind of uh, caused. And then I went to BBH where that situation had been in play for two or three years. Um, it seems strange, doesn't it, to, that that's actually not necessarily that long ago. But in marketing terms, in advertising terms, in channel terms, it feels like, like another, well, another century is exactly what it is. But it feels much further back. And... You look at the agency structures now where, where people are talking again and they tend to be people of a certain vintage and a certain kind of uh, era saying, oh, let's go back to putting the sauce back in the bottle. Let's, let's, yeah. let's try and uh, become a full service agency again. And I just got my doubts because I just can't see how the hell you could manage the level of complexity and the level of specialism that you need to master these days with an agency structure without without just subcontracting everything. I was going to bring that up because, you know, I've read articles recently where people are actually, you know, and not just in Australia, around the world, talking about going back to the full service agency. And we've seen examples of creative agencies working to bring media back in-house. And we're also seeing increasingly the big media groups mm. adding content, they call it. They don't call it advertising, but content creation into that mix. Do you, do you understand why the industry yearns for the full service model? I always understand why, because there's a, there's a um, God, I hate this word, but there's a holistic way of thinking that everybody wants to, everybody wants to kind of access. It'd be wonderful if, if, if marketing and comms challenges are as simple as to be able to solve them under one roof with one set of expertise, that'd be great because you can be the one point of contact, the one, the one way to think about things in the room um, in, in a lateral way in a client's organisation, that, that, that would be a terrific thing to do. But you know, I can see why people yearn for it. I just don't think it's possible anymore. People, agencies have got to do the uncomfortable bit. They've actually got to work with other agencies and this holy grail of collaboration has got to happen and they've got to do it without trying to eat, eat each other's lunch or maximise or, or protect their revenue and, and all of those horrible things that no one, no human likes to, likes to do naturally. <laughs> But you, you gave a strategic answer there. I mean, I'm probably a little bit more cynical because I oh, think yeah. Yeah, marketers want, yeah. want a full service agency because it is just damn convenient. 
And agencies want to be a full service agency because they maximise their control and revenue streams out of the client's budget. It's as simple as that. So, okay. So the second bit, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, it, it's it's a much simpler way to report up to your head. Obviously, if you've got all of the client's revenue streams running through your uh, through your books, that's great. Do marketers want to... So what did you say? That marketers want it to be... Convenient. Like if I've just got one throat to choke, it, rather than having five or six or three or ten different agencies and they all end up pointing the figure at someone else when something goes wrong, it's just too hard. If I've got one agency and I can go down there and go, it went wrong and it's your fault and you'll fix it, isn't that much easier? But for some marketers, so for some marketers that is what they want. I think they're few and far between. Because more important for a lot of the marketers that we deal with is that they get, they get you know, one throat to choke versus all your eggs in one basket. They get scared about that. They don't ever believe that any one agency or one holding company could actually provide the level of expertise in every single sphere that they need. There's that. There's also, oh, I don't know. There's also that fear of, of, of kind of, you know, if you've got one agency that looks after all of your marketing output, then as soon as you drop the ball or you delay or you obfuscate or you don't make decisions in the right way, then that agency knows everything that you're doing. You've got somebody actually looking at how well you do your job as a team. And mm-hmm. that's not always what, what people want. But perhaps I'm perhaps I'm getting a bit cynical there. I don't know. I've seen that kind of thing. Maybe I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah, um, maybe. Now you raised the other C word, which is collaboration. Ah, oh, that one. Yes. Now, uh, do you think it's possible when you've got a group of agencies all competing for their client's budget that they truly can collaborate? I think it's possible because I always like to see the best in people. I always like to be the eternal optimist about these things. And I think it's a great thing to strive for. I think it's only possible if you are very, very smart about the way that the money flows around that roster. And it's always about the money. It's always about the money. From the money comes security of tenure, confidence, the ability to resource up, to put specialist resources in. Um, to pay your best thinkers, to take the time to think about stuff, all of those good things, it comes from the money. And uh, the worst thing I think that ever happens is that clients go, oh, well, I think you lot should collaborate. And they throw an agency or two or three agencies rather in, in, into a room or onto a brief and go, you guys work together and come back to me when you think you've got something, you've got something that you've collaborated on. And there are no rules attached to that. There are no uh, protocols attached to that. There are no roles or responsibilities. They just ask people to go and pretty much tear each other's throats out because that's what that's what I used to do when I was on the agency side. Mm. Uh, I've been involved in the biggest, you know, things that were labelled collaboration and were actually the hugest dogfights in the world. So I've seen it so many times on the other side of the fence. There, there's a whole bunch of stories we could tell there. Um, well, we won't for fear we, of litigation. Well, no, we won't. <laughs> But the point here is that, and I've, I've ranted about this before, Darren, um, I've ranted about this before on a podcast, the clients that say go away and collaborate and then are disappointed that their agencies come back with something that's, you know, three agencies go away to collaborate and they come back with three answers. It's no one's fault but the client's fault to, to do that and not expect uh, and not expect to have to put rules and roles and roster models in and ways of working and all those hard yards is just irresponsible. It drives me mad when I see it. You stop all these really creative people from being really creative. It becomes an account man's battlefield, and it's just nuts. And that's why a lot of people just get disillusioned with the way things are going. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, the account man's role is really trying to make this work at the same time protecting the agency's revenue streams and profitability, isn't it? 
an account man's role always was when I was doing it. It always is now. It's every single thing possible, isn't it? I mean, it's it's all of that plus yeah. all of the other anything they have to do. Yeah, but it is. But how much cleaner and more exciting is it when that isn't an account man's role and when you've actually got people who are motivated and remunerated in order to work and the best people for the task in order to work on the best parts of a client's business? I mean, that's... That's the dream. When we, when, when you and I have have, have uh, developed roster models that include strategic panels and creative panels within them, cross disciplinary ones, ones that even get outside the agency network and into, um, you know, contributions from places like Google and and and, um, and outside the industry and technical stuff as well. Those are the dream teams that really tend to, you know, tend to revolutionise a client's business, especially these days where but ideas I, come from any sphere at all. But also our models are inclined to incentivise people based on the performance of that work rather than just paying them for turning up. Well, we we love to put those things in place. And again, it, they, they, they tend to be the braver clients that adopt that from us, yeah, aren't course. they? I mean, uh, you know, it's complex. It's complex. And they're also, at the end of it, somebody's got to pay somebody something based on a set of criteria that were developed. And who wants to be the person who rocks that particular boat? I mean, if an agency is incredibly successful, you've got to pay them two million bucks extra at the end of the year, then you don't want to be that person, do you, in, in, a, in well, most big Successful only because the business has been successful. I think that's the secret is performance is not about how well an agency does its job. Performance is about how well they contribute to the organisation achieving their goals. Yeah, and I think, I, I think so, so I think at Trinity P3 we've got a bunch of schemes that, will enable that kind of relationship to to take root and to blossom. Um, but you and I know that they're hard sells because mm. it's it's not an accepted way of doing business here. It, it, it is outside this country, but not yet here. Mm. But we we continue fighting. The so so the that's the now. next C is complexity because sometimes complexity has just made it all too hard because... You know, digital complexity, technology complexity, market complexity. Uh, this is why we've seen this rise, this phenomenal rise of agency specialists. Mm. I mean, there are now more agency options out there than at any time in the past, right? Yep, absolutely. So why are marketers struggling with what is the right combination or right number of agencies? Why do they seem to have an additive effect rather than a strategic effect to their roster? It's a great question. Well, the first point to make is that, you know, I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be in the agency world because there's, there's great work to be done and great, you know, great insight to be generated by being niche and being specialist. And you can... You can do really well, and uh, and that's to be applauded. The trouble with it is that a lot of marketing teams haven't got anywhere near the level of specialist knowledge that they need in order to evaluate what is being offered to them. So there's two things there. Firstly, they they don't ever reach a conclusion about what good really looks like in some of these specialist fields. So they'll buy something off the existing agency who says, "Oh, we've got to shop a marketing guy in." We hired him last week. You should meet him. I'm sure he can do some projects for you, or or, or they get you know bowled over by the the, the latest kind of um, I don't know mobile mobile tech agency that, that rocks up and, and offers something or, or or you know whatever it happens to be. Um, 
they don't have the level of specialism to be able to generate that uh, to 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 to, um, to judge what what good looks like, and so they just tend to hire and hire and hire. And because they're small projects and it's niche, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, kind of safeguards or governance around that. I mean, how many times have you and I rocked up at you know reasonable size advertisers, ten million plus, and asked them what they what their roster composition is, and they go, oh well, you know, it's not. You think we've got that under control? It's fine. We've probably got maybe ten to twelve agencies working with us in total, and you you actually go through the roster and find there are fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred. What was it? Two and a half thousand that we counted last week. Yeah. <laughs> One client. Jeez. But, what? but that's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, there is not two and a half a requirement for two and a half thousand suppliers or agencies. There is a certainly a requirement for some specialists, but what is it that causes this growth? You know, I, I think I did that video where you know I equate agencies and to the agency hangers. roster to coat hangers. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the coat wire coat hangers you get yeah. from the dry cleaner. Every time I open the wardrobe, there seems to be more of them, and agency rosters seem to be the same thing. But they're put together by nobody. They're put together by everybody and nobody. Yeah. There's never a model, there's hardly ever a model or a strategy or a set of roles and responsibilities um, until, and you never, you know, marketers never realise that's required until it's too bloody late. And you've got suddenly 30 agencies or, or, or 20 agencies all fighting over a five or six million dollar budget hmm. uh, and, you know, cutting that to death and, until there's nothing left uh, to sustain anybody. But time after time, you find that A, it's a surprise when they find out how many agencies there are. And B, if you look for any kind of model or rules of engagement or guidelines or anything for the agencies that are actually there, there's nothing. Um, and it gets even worse when, when clients run, run multi-agency, multidisciplinary pitches without a roster model. And we saw that last year. Mm. Um, we saw that a couple of times last year where, you know, without naming names, I mean, you and I have walked away, walked away from those kinds of pieces of business, those pitches, because we've said that there needs to be a, a set of rules and a roster model behind this, otherwise you're going to end up in the same pile of crap, but even deeper, mm. and tied in there for three years. Um, and I think that's what's happened on both those occasions, as far as we can see. I don't know, we're out of it. So what am I saying? I think, there's, I think, I think the reason this happens is that nobody ever stops to think about it. So and there's some short-termism of, I've got a need, I'll get someone to fill it, and if there's whoever happens to be standing in front of me at the time gets the gig. Yeah, what do you always say? Um, agent is the is the is the uh, is the current agency. It's the previous agency, and the one you met. Yeah, the one you met uh, over coffee sometime is the is the one they all know. But yeah, agent uh, client teams sit there and go, well, we've got a problem with our agency, so we need to pitch it. And you know, across Trinity P three, we always have that conversation where clients ring us, and you know, what is it, twenty twenty five percent of our business these days? That's all. But where clients get us in and say, "Look, we we've got a problem with the agency. We need to pitch," and you go, "Well, what's what really is the problem? Is it a problem with the agency? Is it a problem because you're asking the right agency the wrong question, the wrong wrong agency the right question? What's the roster model? How who else are they working with?" And and on and on it goes, and you often find it's not an agency problem, it's a roster problem, and it's actually a marketing team problem, and a marketing team structure problem, and a process problem. Um, because there are no rules, and there is no there is no method or strategy around how you put together. And it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do, to, to get an engagement model that works across, say, 15, 20 different specialist agencies. It's really tough. Mm. But it's even tougher for those agencies to work it out themselves and try and make money. 
no wonder they're trying to get it well, right. And, and the number of times we've seen or I've heard of uh, marketers leaving it to the agency to work it out. It's almost like saying, you know, going into a group of beggars and going, here's a pile of cash, you work out who gets what. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a dreadful way to go when they do that. Uh, the other default, and this is when you kind of need to be very careful about what, you know, whether you get involved with the marketing team or not, I suppose, is when there's a kind of cultural pitching. So um, I'll say you need to get be careful about when you get involved. I mean, if you can actually get the client team to admit that they've actually got a culture of pitching and it's not working for them, um, then that's a great start. But we worked with uh, a client couple of years, a very large client a couple of years ago, did we not, where, where they actually admitted they had a, a culture of pitching and it was no good. And they've, they've moved away from that. Because that's, that's the most poisonous thing of all, um, to have to pitch for everything. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are large, large clients in Sydney with large rosters who go like a pendulum between having appointed agencies versus uh, a whole ros- you know a whole plethora a huge a massive roster of agencies and then they get everyone to pitch against each other and then the winner comes out of that and then they appoint them again and it, it just it's like you know just like a pendulum it just goes back and forth back and forth so yeah I'm interested in this idea of calling agencies and suppliers because mm. you know often I find when market we ask mark or I'll ask a marketer how many agencies they have and they think media creative and maybe digital mm. but then suppliers is a totally different sort of category for them mm. and I remember years ago Rob Morgan from uh, Cleminger Group mm-hmm. really objected publicly to me calling agencies suppliers because he said we're not suppliers we're partners with our our clients and I said no no you're suppliers because you paid for a service you know as a supplier is you're not actually sharing in the risks and rewards of the relationship but do you think that marketers still think that there's some sort of segmented difference between an agency and what procurement would call a supplier or vendor? I think that might be right. It's quite a good point, Darren, because that would explain why they tell us that they've got three or four key agencies and then you find that they've got a list of 40 or 50 communications suppliers who are all, as far as we're concerned, being paid on the same basis, either project or retainer, as the agency is. Um, Maybe that's part of why, why there's, these rosters just grow like topsy. Because it's okay to have lots of suppliers, isn't it? But it's not, it's not, it's a bit sillier to have lots and lots of agencies. I mean, most, most marketers would agree with you, well, we shouldn't have too many agencies because that would be confusing. But then they've got a list of suppliers for shopper marketing, for digital, for search, for mobile, for apps, for, for, for you name it, you know, events, and, 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 and on it goes. So maybe that's it, you see. And yeah, yeah, well, because the the procurement process for supplier rationalisation is to define buckets of capabilities or services and then to basically run a tender to populate those buckets, either with one or more suppliers responsible for that particular skill set. You know, this is is the classical procurement uh, supplier rationalisation, right? But... What you find is that it actually doesn't achieve very much because all you end up with is buckets of multiple suppliers. So if you've got five buckets and you've got four suppliers in each bucket, you've still got 20 suppliers. You've potentially got 20 agencies. Whether you want to call them suppliers or agencies is is irrelevant, irrational and irrelevant (laughs) Um, because it doesn't actually get to the point which is I want to align my suppliers to my specific requirements. 
I want to build capability and understanding of my business through my supply chain. And this is always where we find we can add value working with procurement. Because um, they come from a, a not tar the entire procurement profession with the same brush. There are good procurement people and bad procurement people. I've, I've, I've spoken about that before and written about it. Um, but the kind of procurement you're talking about there, where you can legitimately get six suppliers of widgets, different kinds of widgets into six different buckets, and maybe you have two or three in one, and, and that, that assumes that there's no requirement for those suppliers then to work together in order to produce one thing across the whole piece, which is, of course, nearly always the case in any kind of marketing roster um, arrangement. And so we, we, we end up fighting against that quite a lot, don't we? Because, because the vital thing is that actually they, they have some basis upon which to work together or to work across those pieces, or indeed one, one supplier can actually manage, manage two or three of those buckets and, and, and make something else of it. And then the buckets are changing all the time anyway, mm. according to what the marketing requirement is. Um, but the end result of what you're talking about is that you end up with six disciplines in your roster and you ask the roster for an answer on a, on a brief and you get six different discipline-related answers, none of which actually fit together. Mm. Um, I remember we worked on an automotive client a couple of years ago where they had exactly that. They had a roster of 11, 11 agencies and they used to get 11 different answers depending on which discipline that particular agency came from. And they spent most of their time, until we made some sense out of it for them, most of their time trying to cobble together something that didn't kind of compromise too much between the 11 different ways of doing things and trying to persuade people to, to, to play ball. So you get that a lot. You get that a lot. Anyway, so, where do we, so, we come in on that? I've, I've meandered down that particular... No, because... like a procurement person <laughs> meandering down a particular supply no, chain. Well, we're talking about how procurement approach the, uh, uh, the rationalisation of, you know, a large number of suppliers... Mm. But, uh, you know, there has to be a more strategic approach. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I know I get asked this question, I'm not sure about you, but you know, when you get into this discussion around uh, uh, the roster of agencies slash suppliers, mm-hmm. you know, well, what is the ideal number? I mean, what's your standard response well, to that? Well, we've got, we've got science and we've got benchmarks that help us with that. Um, and so... You know what? What we do is, you know, what what we do is 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 take a look at the entire client scope of work. So what what the marketing requirements are and what that means in terms of a scope of work, and then look at that by discipline, look at that by spend and activity level, and and, and the nature of that activity. And we've got benchmarks that we can apply to that that would show you that you know, guess what, Mister Client, your your digital scope of work here is actually the work of two agencies, um, mm-hmm. or it's the work of three agencies, and that's going to be, you know, the kind of the sweet spot for you to go and get this executed. And here, here, here's what the different discipline kind of uh, backgrounds look like for those three agencies. But we, we know, we've gone through entire rosters like that, just looking at what the spend is. I mean, it doesn't matter how big the spend is. You just break it down and just go, don't dump your whole $150 million through this one particular agency because you'll find it all gets clogged. Mm. But do it through this number of agencies, you don't need you don't need 500 agencies to run your 150 million dollar spend, but you might need six here and then three in this particular discipline in order to make this run in an optimal way. So there is some science here. There's a bit of you know. well, yeah. You know, I mean, there's some classic examples of very large advertisers in most markets that will consolidate all their work 
to the convenience of one agency, only to have the agency completely bogged down. Yeah, right. We've seen that. And we've seen it time and time seen, again. Seeing it at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then on the other side, there's the marketers that sprinkle it like chicken feed across the chicken coop yeah. and have all everyone fighting for it because they think that builds competition. And competition is actually, that type of competition is anti-collaboration. Yeah. Because if you're competing with each other, you can't trust each other. So I think, you know, a good rule of thumb for a marketer is what's the minimum number of agencies to strategically deliver your requirements, your scope of work? And I think it's a really important question and it's not a simple question because what it goes down to is what is your specific strategic requirements based on your marketing strategy? And who is fulfilling them now, how well they're fulfilling them, and where are the gaps or the duplications? Because this is the interesting thing. As mar- yeah, I would defy any marketer listening in on this to tell me that their marketing strategy today is the same as it was five years ago. Yeah. And yet their roster will yeah. have the core that's the same as it was five years ago and have all these band-aids of specialist yeah. agencies stuck onto it to try and make up for the gaps and the the where it doesn't fit anymore. Or, or yeah, or even to, to to reiterate that. So how many clients, how many client teams, in all honesty, any marketers listening to this, if you can put your hand on your heart and say that actually next week you could deliver on paper exactly what your specific marketing requirements are for the next 12 months and what the scope of work will therefore look like, mm. very few and far between. And the, the trouble is that 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 that's absolutely sen- and it changes every month, every year, and that's absolutely central to what your roster should look like. Mm. It needs to be optimized one to the other. But if you don't even know what that looks like, then you may as well just pick almost any roster out of the air and just just hope that it kind of helps you grope towards some kind of strategic direction over the year. So Nathan, I I you know as you know, I'm not doing a lot of pitching anymore, right? The rest of the team are managing pitches. Lucky here's, you, Darren. Here's a question for you. <laughs> Why do marketers often come and ask to pitch a media agency or creative agency, you know, either because the relationship's underperforming or they're not sure it's the right one to have, and they rarely do it in the context of the changes that that will have to the overall dynamics of the roster? Because in many ways, when you and I started, let's say, in advertising 20 years ago or more, There was a single full-service agency. Now, I think most marketers will will acknowledge that they may have four, five or more suppliers, and yet they still go to a pitch on the basis of it's like a piece of Lego or just take this piece out and stick another one in and the integrity of that roster will be maintained. Uh, I don't know the answer to that because it drives us mad, doesn't it? It drives us mad all the time that you, you take away one part of it and you expect the whole thing to have changed. And yet, you know, again, as I was saying earlier, you put no rules or roles or, or responsibilities against that uh, or, or even ask. Sometimes in the pitch process, don't even introduce the new, you know, the new potential agencies to the existing ones. Mm-hmm. And, and how many times do we try and get, at the very least, try and get media agencies to sit in on some of the some of the strategic sessions that we run when we run pitches, uh, just so you can find out how that new roster is going to mold together and 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 work. Um, 
But this is coming from the same marketers that go collaboration, 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 and yet treat rosters as very segmented things. I mean, there's no acknowledgement that these are actually, if you want to create collaboration, you need to build the roster or what's that other term that's floating around? Oh, the village, the oh. village of agencies. You need to build it so that it actually is a functional unit in its own right. Well, that's right. And uh, the village is a term that we've come to hate, isn't it? Because every village has an idiot, I think is what we said. Um, <laughs> but but this is, I think this might be, Darren, why, why we're less involved these days as a proportion of our business in pitching and much more involved in roster alignment and then structural and process alignment on the marketing side. Because... Because the problems are hardly ever solved by a pitch. I mean, it wouldn't. Ta- it doesn't take an idiot to to even see this. Yeah. Um, it's hardly ever. It's hardly ever uh, as watertight as saying this pitch will solve solve the problems because you've had such a clear cut problem. There's always stuff that the client side needs to learn. There's always there's there's nearly always unless you've got a smaller advertiser. There's nearly always roster role and roster model problems to sort out. There's nearly always alignment between marketing requirements and the executional skill set in the roster. There's always those things to sort out and just changing who sat on that particular uh, chair that's going to flip over like something out of Sweeney Todd the Barber. I mean, it, it doesn't make any difference. It's still going to flip over. The guys are going to go backwards and get their throats cut. And, and it, I won't extend that analogy anymore. It's <laughs> horrible. I don't know how I got down that particular rabbit hole either. But this is probably why we've ended up with a, with, a, with a business that's far less focused on that. Because I think, I think the game has moved on. I don't think that's just necessarily just a strategic decision by our, ourselves. It's also, it's also because increasing complexity in this market, in, in, in rosters and, and, and in channel and, and in disciplines, means that I think you know, we, we're not going to be the only people who've spotted that it's, it's, it's harder to answer every single question with the, with the answer pitching. Mm. But... You know, they'll always be pitching. I mean, agencies will always try and pitch against each other and they'll try and force the pitch and they'll try and do speculative work. And yeah, and look, don't get me wrong. You know, there is a place for pitching, tendering, yep. selecting suppliers, yep. selecting the right suppliers to fit the right part ah, of the roster. Well, that's different. That's yeah. different. See, that's not just pitching. That That's selecting the right suppliers to fit the right part of the roster. Uh, that's a... That's a that's a proper question. That's well, that's a, a strategic. That's a strategic process. Yeah, it's not just a supply chain process. It's yeah. actually a strategic uh, procurement issue. It's a strategic marketing issue. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I, no, I, absolutely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to sit here. And, I mean, you, you know that I would never like to sit here and say we should never handle another pitch because that that would be it. Would it would be crazy? There'd be a lot of people we couldn't help, and um, and. Yeah, you know, we've we've often actually recommended that the best solution is is sometimes to pitch part of the roster. I mean, of course we have. Or not to pitch or and actually realign. Most of the time, not to pitch and yeah. To realign. Yeah. If you realign the the people already in the roster, yeah. So they know specifically their roles and responsibilities, and then find a way to reward them. Then you can get increased performance and effectiveness out of what is already the existing roster. So the classic, the classic little dance that we see is the classic, the classic dance that we see here is you go to a. This seems to be happening all the time at the moment. So you go to a client and they say, "Well, um, we think we need to we need to pitch or whatever it is, and 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 uh, either in the pitch or before the pitch or, or avoiding the pitch, you." Have a look at the scope of work and you realise that really what they're doing is they're asking a tier one agency, their lead agency, to handle a lot of what really is tier two or tier three work because their scope of work is fragmented. 
So they still love the strategic creative leadership of that agency, but actually what they need to do is a lot more fragmented and specialised than it perhaps was five years ago. So they're going, we'll change the agency. And we go, well, no, why not actually keep this agency with all of this strategic and creative knowledge and background in your business and all the expertise, but let's actually make sure that you've got suitable support around that, tier two levels and tier three levels. Mm. And one of the ways we've done that is to look at a, an output-based cost model, which is probably the subject of another podcast. And what typically happens then is that the lead agency goes, well, you're just taking away a lot of our revenue. And mm. you go, well, no, because you don't have to do this tier two, tier three stuff. I mean, we might have taken away some of your revenue, but we're actually making you a lot more profitable. Yeah. And what do they do? What do they do? They say, we can handle all that tier two, tier three stuff. It's not a problem. So they do it at less money. They become pissed off with it. They don't do it very well. They do it too quickly. They don't do it as well as a tier two, tier three agency can do it because their cost structure and their cost base and their, their entire raison d'etre is around that. And you get the same problems. Then they pitch it a year later or six months later. And then I kind of des- think they deserve to be pitching then because if you can't be smart about this stuff. So I've just realised I overlooked the um, full service agency solution that is very popular in, especially overseas, yeah. but it has been here and I've been involved in dismantling it on three occasions. Yeah. <laughs> and that is where a holding company uh-huh. creates the single agency bespoke agency solution for a client so that the client comes along and says, I need this, 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 and this. And then the holding company puts it together and creates a new agency based on people from across their network mm. to create that new agency. What do you think of those created agencies? Look, sometimes, okay, I mean, every, every, everyone always says, you know, every consultant always says it depends, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it works well. Right? We, we've recommended it a few times. Um, and I think it works really well where you've got, you've got a transactional bias to your marketing communications where you've actually got to get a lot of knitting done and your strategic uh, leaps and your creative leaps need to happen occasionally but not regularly. Happens, you know, it works quite well for those guys. But other times it, 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 it's, it happens because the, the marketing team is often just too bloody overwhelmed by everything and, and, or, or it's procurement driven and it's a price. But the trouble with it is it's like a black hole. It grabs everything and sucks all activity into it. It just becomes this great big bottomless mass at the bottom and, and, and eventually it has to explode. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, have you ever seen it, you've seen it work well? Look, well, you've it, seen it work well for a short time. You're absolutely on the money. Where the requirements of that agency are largely transactional, it works well. But here's where I think it's fundamentally flawed, okay? The requirements of the client, you mean? Sorry, the requirements of the client are largely transactional. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a whole list a of things, a whole lot of things I need to do, right? Mm. And just please work together to yep. deliver it, right? Where it goes wrong from my perspective is that I think in the creative process, there is natural tension. In fact, creativity requires tension, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. What happens is this artificially created agency of diverse groups of people across the network, the tension is all internal and is not seen, therefore cannot be managed from the client's perspective. And I think in some of the ways, a lot of the complaints marketers have about managing a roster of agencies is actually them not realising that the healthy tension within a roster 
even the best operating rosters have healthy tension, is actually the source of innovation and creativity. If I have five specialists in their area in a room, I am hoping that they'll disagree with each other because out of that process of disagreement and tension will hopefully come the innovation or idea that's going to move this forward. But I think this idea, this uh, falsehood that we have as an industry and we have as human beings, that we just want everyone to get along. We want everyone to, to be polite and just agree with each other actually is counter-creative. It's counter-innovation because every time you look at innovation, it comes from the tension of necessity. Yeah, the future belongs to unreasonable people. Yeah. Yeah. See, that might be right. I mean, the, the, so the depressing... That, that's, that's probably absolutely right. I mean, the depressing thing here is that the answers to all of these questions are it, it kind of depends and there is no best solution. There's no best practice. There's only best fit practice. And uh, if you've got a roster structure but you haven't put any rules or, or roles or anything around it, then it's very likely you can produce an enormous improvement in a very short time. Can you get to this, um, you know, this creative, strategic, collaborative nirvana, or as a client of mine used to say, to this state of Nevada, which always made me laugh. <laughs> um, uh, can you get to that point? No, of course you can't. And, you know, should I be asking any more rhetorical questions? Probably not. Um, so... So there isn't ever there isn't ever a perfect state, but but that's again that's not rocket science because it's you know it's a people business. So of course it's going to be messy and it's going to be full of. Maybe we should do a whole model based on on um, neuroscientific observations of how marketing and advertising agencies work together. Maybe we should do that. Well, I've probably got a more yeah, important question to help us out with that. Go on. I've yeah, got go a on. more important question. Why should marketers? care about their roster and how it's structured and how it works. Because if they knew the amount of money and FTEs and hours and the amount of money and the amount of money and the amount of money that they're throwing away, notice I stress the money there, then they would they would attend to it straight away. Um, what do we we've got very clear um, benchmarks based on our experience about the, the, the percentage that you lose uh, every time you add an of your marketing budget, marketing budget, every time you add an agency to the roster, mm. because there is there is a there is a the duplication, onboarding. them. You've got to have a contract. You've got to have terms and conditions with them. You've got to brief. You know, you've got to debrief them. Up them to you've got to, yeah, all of that stuff. You've got to meet and have lunch with their you know their managing director and, and, and all of the other things that you have to do. So it's a business. Imp it, it's it, a business imperative for marketers who are much more interested, rightly. In, in executing, developing and executing their marketing strategy, often feel like this is onerous, but in actual fact, what you're saying, it is imperative from a business perspective. It is, but, but as with every problem in business, if people can see it, but it persists, that means that somewhere, somewhere on the line, people are benefiting from that problem. And you know how many times you get to the top of a very large organisation? How many how many further education uh, uh, outfits have we been dealing with where people are sat at the top of that and just go, I don't see why it takes all of these people and all of these agencies to do all of this stuff, and we've only got three, four, five million dollars being spent here. And the answer is that everyone's having a lovely time, having a great creative conversation, a marketing and strategic conversation, but there is no commercial. You know the 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 the. the uh, the insertion of commercial reality into that just hasn't happened. Mm. So FE as a sector tends to suffer from that quite a bit. 
Um, but it, it's it's certainly there across the entire marketing sector. And it can't be because you've got really, really well-structured competitive uh, outfits coming out of Asia and um, uh, and all over the world and then coming and out of China yeah. at the moment and Europe at the moment that will just kill uh, what what those rosters are trying to do and what those marketing organisations are trying to do unless they innovate. They've got to, you've got to do this. You've got to grip it. So... Yeah, why should they? Because you would not believe the amount of money and inefficiency and time and spinning of wheels and, and bureaucracy and debate that is being caused by just having all lost. of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just there. Look, anyway. time's got away from us, but uh, yes. one last question, and it's been a great conversation, but one last question. So, if a marketer comes to you and says, what's the right number of agencies for my roster, you'd say... 